Hello and welcome back to another episode of Reluctant Psalm Podcast. I'm Chris, I'm your host. Uh, today I just want to get caught up. It's been a while since I posted, like I say every time I post, uh, falling a little behind on what I'd like to accomplish, but uh, school's been catching up to me. For anybody that's not aware, uh, I'm currently enrolled uh, in school. I'm taking classes in Japanese um, and just some other basic classes, but I kind of have a hobby for um, languages. Last semester I took introductory Chinese, or elementary Chinese, and yes, I understand that there's a difference between Mandarin and Cantonese and Toisonese, but uh, elementary Chinese teaches you the basics, and when it comes to speaking, they teach you Mandarin. Uh, but elementary Chinese also goes into the simplified um, characters of Chinese as well, which is the reason that they call it that class. Uh, but Japanese this semester, um, so been a little busy with that. Uh, work's been good. I've actually been back to work, which is a nice change uh, since COVID. Um, I talked about outdoor dining a little bit before, um, but I'm going to pull that podcast. The sound quality is not really what I want it to be, um, but for anybody that wants the file, if you care that much, let me know. I'll send it to you. I'm just going to pull it from uh, the um, podcast websites. That being said, I went on uh, Spotify today. My podcast is finally posted on there. Um, So now you can listen to it on Podbean, Apple Podcasts. You can also stream it through uh, Spotify um, and uh, however you'd like to get your podcasts. If there's a certain way that you normally listen to podcasts and it's not a way that you can get my podcast, let me know and I'm more than happy to figure out how to get it on there, uh, publish it and get it done for you. Um, so today I wanted to post, uh, I got caught up with homework, but also it's kind of a a crazy day. Um, it's been a crazy weekend this past weekend. Also, uh, there's obviously fires all over the West coast right now, but, uh, the California fires today all day here in San Francisco, it's just been orange and kind of overcast, really dark. So I feel like it's just been one really long night. Uh, last night went to sleep. It was nice and cool, left the windows open. I woke up this morning and living room's covered in ash. So besides homework, there's been a little bit of cleaning going on today and a little bit of uh, putting things away and also uh, staying indoors and trying to keep uh, up to date with what's going on with the fires and how they're affecting the wine industry. And so far, most of the wineries seem to be doing fine. Um, The fires don't really seem to be affecting them that much. Um, There's no signs of smoke taint as of yet. Um, For anybody that doesn't know what smoke taint is, I don't necessarily understand what it is either, except I know that it's something that they don't want. Uh, But from what I understand, it's the ash affecting the uh, quality of the grapes, uh, affecting harvest, uh, and affecting the process of winemaking. Uh, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, please correct me. I love being corrected. Uh, Call me out. Blast me. Put it on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. Whatever. Just just call me out. Talk shit if you need to. If that's if that's what you need, whatever. If you're right, you know, you should be proud of being right. You should be proud of having that knowledge. Maybe don't treat me like shit. But, you know, I'm, I'm all good for a fair jab here and there. So uh, bring it on. Um, so besides fires uh, and obviously the uh, increased um, or uh, decreased quality of air here in San Francisco, uh, outdoor dining is still the only way that Uh, dining is happening in the city or in the state at this time, Uh, outdoor dining. I think I said that. I don't think I said indoor dining. Anyways, indoor dining is still um, 
not definite as to when we'll be able to reopen here in the city. Uh, there's obviously things that we'll have to get in the uh, in the process of getting the habit of. We'll also have to lower some number, numbers. Obviously, um, you know, there's there's plenty of things to do to get to the point where we need to get to uh, to open up. Uh, unfortunate though uh, that it's taking so long, and I do think that uh, some of the priorities might not be right. But you know, I'm not in control. I'm I'm lucky to have a job. I'm lucky to have the job that I do, um, and I'm lucky to have time to sit here and talk shit to a microphone and expect that one day somebody might listen to this stuff. And I know there's some people out there that listen to this stuff. Thank you. I love you. I love you. Uh, but um, aside from that, uh, the outdoor dining is, is kind of a crazy thing, working outdoors and dining outdoors and being outdoors with this increased uh, increased air quality, so poor air quality, um, is, is kind of crazy. I mean, you, you, I mean, anybody that's gone for a walk to the store nearby your house knows that it's not the easiest thing to do with a mask on. Now imagine doing it with an N95 mask on, you know, N95s or I think the other ones are called ZN95 or something, um, are obviously they do a better job with filtering things out. Um, with COVID, obviously any mask helps, but with uh, poor air quality, the smoke um, and the chemicals that are in the air from that are actually what's harmful. And they kind of, from my understanding, are not at all filtered by a regular mask that would um, assist in limiting others' exposures to COVID uh, as the N95s would do that and filter out all of the uh, horrible um, particles in the air. Um, so, uh, that being said, I wanted to share my funny mask story. Um, for anybody that's not aware, currently I'm working as a server again. Uh, so reluctant Psalm isn't necessarily the title that I have at this time. Uh, but the restaurant that I was at, uh, closed down, not permanently, just temporarily. And so I've been, um, out of the Psalm gig for a minute and I'm back to serving, which is totally fine. Again, I'm really happy to have a job. I feel really grateful um, to have the connections that I have to have gotten a job in the first place. I know a lot of people are out there hurting still, so um, certainly not complaining. Uh, it's definitely not the most fun thing as, you know, walking around talking about wine and drinking wine all day. That's kind of my favorite thing, um, you know, but this isn't, it's not, not so bad. Uh, so I wanted to share a funny mask story with you, um, and it's kind of it's kind of a sad mask story, but it's also kind of a funny mask story, and you know some people may agree with uh, you know the view of it, and some people may not, and and I'm not here to judge that. I'm just here to share something that I think is kind of funny. So when people come into the restaurant, uh, they're asked, or I'm, rather they're explained to by the host or by whoever's seating them that we have a policy: you have to have your mask on when you're not eating or drinking. Um, it's also asked, uh, advised, somewhat expected, not by me, but by some, that you put your mask on when a server approaches your table, and it's required that you put your mask on when you get up from your table. So anyways, putting your mask on when a server comes to the table, I think, is where sometimes there's a little bit of like leeway, a little bit of a gray zone. Um, you know, when people sit down, generally they immediately take their mask off, whether they have water, cocktails, anything. It doesn't really seem to matter. As soon as they're down, they normally have their mask off. 
uh, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not here to judge. And, and you know, I, I certainly do my best to enforce the policies of the establishment I work for. But I also don't want to uh, turn away business in, in such trying times. So every now and then there's a customer that comes in and, and gives you a really hard time about having to wear a mask, which, again, is totally your opinion. You're allowed to think whatever you want. Uh, you're not allowed to do whatever you want. That's why there's laws and that's why there's policies in place. But you're allowed to think whatever you want, right? So just because your opinion is different than everybody else's doesn't make you right. Uh, so anyways, there's this really, really sweet family that comes in. They're up from L.A. It's two little kids, a uh, husband and a wife, and they're sitting at the table. They have a great meal. They're really friendly. We're getting along really well. I have a, a great time. I'm talking to them about things, and everything's fine. Well, a lady walks by on a bike, and I really appreciate... I'm sorry, she rides by on a bike, and I really appreciate where she was coming from, but I think that maybe she overstepped the line, and again, I appreciate her message, but maybe she could have conveyed it a little better. So we're sitting there, and I'm sitting tableside, and I'm not sitting, I'm standing tableside, and I'm having a great conversation with these guests, and uh, a lady rides by on her bicycle and screams, put your fucking mask on when you're talking to your servers. Well, there was only a few tables on the patio at that time. It was a little later in the evening. Um, so obviously they kind of knew that she was talking to them, um, which was unfortunate because they were so sweet. Um, but I wish that that lady would have been there to have handled some of the people that have been giving us a headache. Um, so kind of funny, kind of ironic, uh, really random, um, because obviously I don't think it's anybody's uh, right to tell anybody else what to do. Um, obviously, unless you're coming to our establishment, you got to play by our rules, you know, but, but anyways, whatever. I thought it was a funny story. So this weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and it was batshit crazy. Okay, batshit crazy. It was busy, really busy. Okay, so the place, place I've been working at has been doing really well on Fridays and Saturdays. Business has been good. Uh, Sundays have been good. You know, it's, it's, it's been great. Well, it's a whole different process now, obviously, because um, I don't know. I started after COVID, but I think initially or originally they weren't open on Memorial Day weekends, maybe like, let's say, the Sunday or the Monday of. And I also don't think that they were doing lunches on weekends. Well, now they do lunches on weekends, but they don't do lunches during the weekdays and they're open seven days a week. Okay. So on one side of the restaurant, because we have to do outdoor seating, so we have two separate sides of the restaurant. On one side of the restaurant, there's 26 tables. Wait, uh, sorry, there's 24 tables. And on the other side of the restaurant, there's normally, I think there's like 21 or 24 tables. It's quite a lot of tables. It gets pretty busy. And anyways, it was just like chaos. It was chaos. It was madness. And Friday was good. And Saturday was busy. And Sunday was a shit show. Not a shit show. Like, obviously, we're all learning. We could all improve. We could all do better. But it was it was kind of crazy. It was it was really, really, really busy. Um, and, you know, the kitchen fell a little behind. And obviously, uh, people don't always like waiting for their food, which is uh, understandable. Um, but, you know, uh, we got through it. And anyways, after that shift, 
had to have a couple beers. And obviously I can't go next door to the bar that I always like to go to and, uh, you know, sit down at my bar stool and have a glass of beer, have a cup of beer, have a, have a shot, have some wine, whatever. Can't do that because everything's closed. So instead, we postmate a six-pack of Dogfish, uh, Dogfish Head 90-Minute IPA uh, and also a six-pack of Asahi 24-ounce Super Dry Lagers. So I'll be reviewing these two beers, and I'm going to throw in some wines after that. Um, but uh, anyways, after a long shift, uh, beer is good. I mean, all the time, beer is good. I love beer. But um, Dogfish Head 90-Minute IPA is really delicious. Um, the first time I ever had a beer from Dogfish Head, I had the 60-Minute. I wasn't hugely impressed, um, and I, I thought Dogfish Head's not for me. Again, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, being younger or um, being a more inexperienced drinker, you tend to uh, make uh, broad, bold, um, and slightly ignorant statements about things and and very large generalizations about things uh, when it comes to something that you don't like or something that you do like. I like Pinot. I love all Pinot. Or I like Cab. I love all Cab. Or I'll never like something like this. I think if you make statements like that and you refuse to question yourself or refuse to open your mind to the possibilities of proving yourself wrong, you, you could really be losing out. You could be uh, robbing yourself of some uh, some really in- enjoyable moments in life. It's 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 failure is how we learn, you know. And I don't think we talk about that enough nowadays. Like it's okay to fuck up and it's okay to fail and it's okay to fall. I mean, that's how you grow. Like. It's okay to to burn yourself on something. It's okay to cut yourself when you're in the kitchen using a knife. Like, obviously, you don't want it to be too bad. And obviously, you don't want to burn yourself so bad you need to go to the hospital. But, like, messing up is okay. Like, that's how you get better. You need to practice. You need to fuck up. Like, that's how you're going to gain the experience. That's how you're going to uh, remember what not to do. Um, and so, anyways, uh, back on point. Dogfish had 90 minutes. Um, I haven't had Dogfish Head 90 Minute in a long time, uh, but the last time I had it, I had the 90 Minute, which was awesome, and then I had the 120 Minute, which was bonkers. It was really delicious. So anyways, I was really excited to have Dogfish 90 Minute, Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA. So it's 9% ABV, so obviously I was really excited to have it after a long shift because, you know, just every now and then a nice drink after work is uh, very welcomed. Uh, especially if it's been a stressful day. That's why happy hour started in the first place. Everybody needed to have a drink after work. Uh, but anyways, so um, the beer itself is uh, Imperial uh, Pale Ale. Um, so I'm not really sure. This is where my inexperience with beer kind of cuts in. I'm not really sure if Imperial IPA designates it as a double IPA or if double IPAs and Imperial IPAs are different or if they're the same thing. Not really too sure. But anyways, the beer itself uh, had a little bit of pine, a little bit of like that resinous characteristic that you find in some IPAs, but then it had like a really nice fruity, like citrusy um, uh, appeal to it, a really great profile of citrus and fruit um, without being like overly uh, bitter and overly hoppy. Um, It's malty, you know, so it kind of took on like a, like a triple, like a Belgian style triple characteristic or or it kind of took on like that really like like savory style beer, um, and uh, I decided to look it up because I I wasn't really 
sure if I could define what a 90-minute IPA was or 120-minute IPA, 60-minute IPA was. So anyways, the dudes that started Dogfish Head, I guess, um, took a uh, electronic machine um, and figured out a way to like hot wire it. So during the brewing process for, and I don't think 90 minute was the start of it. Let's say 60 minute was the first one. Um, for 60 minutes, this thing would shake and it would slowly continuously add hops into the brewing process, which from my understanding, my limited understanding that is, allowed the beer to go from what would be a very bitter, very piney beer into more multi-characteristic with uh, fruitiness and citrus notes. So the beer was really good, but I got about halfway through it by the time I decided it was to go into the Asahi 24-ounce super dry lager. Okay, Asahi, let's see, how do I say this without insulting entire countries of beer makers? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to regret this one day, but that's okay. We're just, we're going we're gonna to go for it. I'm sure that Mexico has a lot of really great beer. In fact, I've had a lot of really great beers from Mexico. And I'm not too keen on Mexican craft beer, right? And I'm not super keen on Japanese craft beer either. I've had some things like Hitachino or Hitachino or however you say it. I've had some things like Coedo and, and I've had some of these like, you know, uh, nicer style beers or more sought after beers or more highly thought of beers or whatever. But, and again, this is not my forte. Wine is a little bit more my forte, but uh, Asahi is kind of like Sapporo is kind of like Suntory, right? Just like Corona is kind of like Coors, uh, is kind of like Dosecchi's, is kind of like Pacifico, you know, stylistically they're, they're similar uh, there's not a huge diversity to them, and I don't think they're supposed to be. I think the beers are supposed to be drank cold, and they're supposed to be delicious, okay? So um, the beer is called Super Dry Lager, and it's a 24-ounce can, right? So it's double of what a normal can or bottle would be, uh, and it's called Super Dry. And so the reason they call it Super Dry is the Japanese have this word, and it means uh, it's Kadokuchi, and Kadokuchi doesn't actually have like a translation in English, but it's kind of a characteristic that's a quick, clean finish with foods and with beers, um, from my understanding, and um, and and that's why they've named this beer Asahi Super Dry. Obviously, uh, we can argue all day about having a dry martini that's made of liquid or having an extra dry martini. Or, or, you know, super dry beer when all of this stuff is liquid and a dry wine, you know, like maybe we could have better terms or we could have better uh, ways to express certain characteristics that we're looking for, but that's not my place. My place is just to sit here and talk shit to a microphone and have you guys listen. So Asahi Super Dry was really great. Uh, it's a cool bottom fermented beer. So it's a lager. Okay, so generally lagers, uh, which I'm fairly certain are most of the other beers I suggested, um, like uh, like Corona Dos Equis, Pacifico, uh, Sapporo, Centauri, our lager, Pilsner, um, are cool bottom fermented uh, beers, which makes them 
stylistically much lighter, whereas an ale is a, a warm uh, top fermented beer, uh, which would be dogfish head. So the yeast that they're using is a little bit different. Uh, the process of brewing is a little bit different as well. Um, so they're from the very beginning of the process, they're stylistically going for different beers, right? The cool bottom fermented beers are designed to be light, refreshing, let's say crushable, uh, and they are. Um, so the Asahi 24-ounce Super Dry, the one downside I would say to having such a large can is the need to drink it more quickly because similar to, let's say, Coors Light, which is, you know, one of my favorite, like, go-to casual beers if I'm just going to have a beer at a barbecue and I'm not really, like, there for a beer tasting or something, I'll drink Coors Light. I like Coors Light. Ice-cold Coors Light's great. Or if you like Lone Star, I love Lone Star. Or PBR, I love PBR. Or whatever you like to drink. Miller Light, Budweiser, Bud Light, I don't care. You know, whatever you like is fine. But generally, those lighter style beers, when they get warm, are maybe not as delicious. So anyways, I finished the Sasagi 24-ounce super dry and just in the nick of time because uh, it was getting a little warm and it was becoming a little less palatable. Uh, that's the term I like to use for things that I don't find the most delicious, uh, less palatable. Um, and then after I finished that, I went back to this Dogfish Head 90-minute which it had time to warm up and was now, let's say, I don't know, 50-something degrees, 60-something degrees, and it was amazing. It was so good. It was delicious because it wasn't just ice cold. You know, It wasn't just like I was pounding an ice-cold 9% beer. All of a sudden, I was drinking like this complex beer that was designed to be tasted and not designed to be drank, you know? So different styles of beers, but both were enjoyed that night, I can assure you. Uh, any alcohol would have been enjoyed, enjoyed that night after uh, such a, a long, uh, trying shift. Uh, but again, we got through it, uh, learned a lot. You know, we're all learning new things uh, post-COVID and uh, learning new systems and trying to develop new things that are better for us, uh, better for our guests, and, um, you know, just, just better in general. But it's a process. And again, fucking up is part of that process. And, and, falling on your face as part of that process. Um, okay, so I've talked about beer, talked about my own bullshit, and I've uh, carried on long enough. So I'll probably just uh, quickly go over a few wines that I've had lately. Oh, well, two wines that I've had lately and a wine that one of my friends reminded me of. So I have a friend uh, from back in Texas, and he, uh, he and I have been chopping it up about Pinot Noir lately, um, you know, and... I have gotten into like more austere, more odd, uh, more mm, hard to find Pinot Noirs. Uh, when I was uh, at my previous job and I was somming, I had more exposure to them. I had more ability to taste things like that. Uh, I had more guests coming and asking for things like that. And it was great. Uh, but I kind of forgot where I came from, right? So talking to him and seeing the wines that he was liking, I'm like, yeah, I like that wine too. Yeah, I like that wine too. Yeah, I like that wine too. And I forgot how much I enjoyed uh, domestic or like classic California style Pinot Noirs. And so um, this is, in my opinion, one of my favorite um, California Pinot Noirs, uh, Emeritus. So Emeritus Wineries in Sebastopol, 
I don't know if I've talked about this yet or not. I probably have. I'm probably repeating myself. But you're going to listen. Well, you might not. Please listen. Or uh, skip 30 seconds if that, or 15 seconds or whatever it says. And, uh, you know, you might be able to um, get past my yammering about this wine. Anyways, Emeritus Pinot Noir uh, from the Halberg Ranch is a really, really delicious Pinot Noir. Um, I had the 2016 lately. Um, lately? That's six months ago. Time's slipping since all of this uh, quarantine. I, I feel like it's still, it's got to be before June, but uh, it's not where... Uh, in the fourth quarter of the year. Anyways, so 2017 is current vintage for them, but 2016 is what I had lately. You could still buy it off their website for $45 a bottle. It's a steal. It's a really, really great wine. It's super complex. It has red fruit, blue fruit, black fruit. Um, has some nice floral notes to it. It has some sweet spice. Um, it's a really, really delicious Pinot Noir. I'm a huge fan of it. I love Emeritus Wines. Um, when I went there to the winery, I didn't have an appointment. I walked in. Uh, you know, things might be different since COVID, so I'm not advising you to do this. I'm just telling you about our process. Um, so I was just in Sebastopol for a day, and I, I went to the winery, and I said, hey, just want to taste some wines. Oh, do you have an appointment? I said, no. And they go, okay, well, come on in. And I was there a little early, and I think I got there, like, right when they opened. Um, and I'm not an alcoholic, okay? I just like to be in places early, all right? Don't judge me. Anyways, so I went in and I tried all they all they have is Pinot Noir. They might have something different now, but all they had was Pinot Noir and I'm totally down with that because they had some really amazing beautiful expressions of Pinot Noir. Um, they have an estate Pinot Noir, they have Halbert Ranch Pinot Noir, they have uh, several different Pinot Noirs. They have a white wine that's made from Pinot Noir that was phenomenal and they also have a really really badass rosé. Unfortunately, unless you're a wine club member or unless you're an online club member or whatever, you can't buy anything except the Emeritus Halberg Ranch, which is fine because it's still a really delicious wine. And at $45 a bottle from the winery, I think it's a steal. I mean, if you went to a restaurant and they had it on the list for $100, I'd probably still buy it because I really like that wine. Um, anyways, uh, so they were really cool. They let me taste everything. I bought a bottle of Emeritus Halberg Ranch probably a year and a half ago, a uh, year ago, and I held on to it for, oh, it's probably a year and a half, two years, and I held on to it for about a year, and I tasted it, and it was it was even better. Um, I don't know the ageability of the wine, um, but the wine was really delicious. I'm sure it's going to be great next year. I'm sure it's going to be great the year after. Uh, I might order a few bottles just to sit on them and really kind of see how it evolves because the wine really stuck me. Uh, it was, it was really uh, a fantastic Pinot Noir at a relatively affordable price. I'm not saying it's a $20 bottle that you can buy in the grocery store, but if you want to have a good bottle of Pinot at your house, you know, you're going to cook a meal at your home. You're going to save yourself some money instead of going out to a restaurant. Maybe spend a little extra money on a bottle of wine to go along with it. You know, never a bad idea. Anyways, Emeritus Halberg Ranch 2016 Vintage. Go get it. Okay, so speaking of 2016 and Pinot Noirs, we're going to cut in with a different Pinot Noir. Uh, this is Rose Rock Pinot Noir from Yola Amity Hills. So uh, Rose Rock is a wine that we just put on the list, uh, so I had the chance to try. Um, but I was really impressed by it. So Domaine Druin is a producer in um, Oregon, and they've been there for about 30 years. And uh, they 
are in, um, oh, why can't I think of the name? Anyways, they're in Oregon. And Rose Rock is a property of theirs that I think they built, I think it was uh, 11 years ago or nine years ago or something, uh, in Eola Amity Hills uh, AVA. A relatively smaller AVA, relatively new uh, when we're talking about like the grand scheme of AVAs. Um, but uh, a, a lot of fun wines come from there. So Domaine Druin is, is the same family as Joseph Druin, who's a really famous uh, Burgundy producer. Uh, they lived in the, they've been in the Cote de Bone, I think 1880 was when they bought uh, the winery. And so the same family's been involved with this all along. And the, I think it's the granddaughter, the great granddaughter of the original owner of the estate, or the first Joseph Druin, um, is the winemaker at uh, Rose Rock, but also at Domaine Druin in Oregon. Again, Rose Rock is kind of, let's say, like a separate label from them. The wines are really really awesome. The 2016 vintage is banging. So this chick's got a, a shitload of experience. Like she's really experienced and her wine is really good, but you can also taste the precision, the balance and the restraint that she has in the style of Pinot Noir that she made. She could have made some super hot swinging for the fucking fence, baseball bat to your teeth style Pinot Noir, super jammy, whatever. She could have also made a super lean, super dirty, kind of funky, earthy style Pinot Noir. But this wine is so precise, and it's just enough of everything. And the acid is so beautiful. The acid is so nice that it kind of makes your mouth water. You want another sip. It's not off-putting. It's not bitter. It's subtle. It's supple. It's it's so, so nice. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say about uh, that wine. I got a little off topic. I got a little carried away. Ooh, okay, it's a good one. Oh, I remember. So, I'm not one for rating systems like uh, Wine Spectator, Wine Enthusiast, Robert Parker, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm down for people reviewing wine and people telling other people what they think about wine, but I don't think that we should necessarily hold those reviews to, like, our highest standard. Like, if you go to the store and you only want to drink wines that are 95 points and above by Wine Enthusiast... Uh, how do I say this? Uh, pull your head out of your ass because there's a lot of, uh, sorry, there's a lot of really great wine out there that hasn't been reviewed. A lot of great wine that doesn't have a big enough production. There's a lot of great wine out there that, you know, um, maybe somebody didn't get around to trying, or maybe somebody just didn't particularly like, I mean, we're all subjective here. We, We all taste things differently. We all see things differently. We all think about things differently. We all process things differently. Wine is not any different, right? So taking somebody's word for a situation and never questioning any other component of that story that they told you might be admirable because you trust that person, but I also think can be a deadly or slippery slope because you might be going forward with incorrect information, okay? You might be going forward with thinking that just because this wine didn't get 95 points, it's not delicious, Anyways, that's not this wine. This wine got 93 points plus on like seven or eight different uh, websites, uh, seven or eight different reputable wine reviewers. Uh, we're talking wine enthusiasts, food and wine, wine spectator. Um, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, anyways, I can't remember. But so I would say that the rating systems are a really good idea when you buy a wine that's been rated highly by multiple reviewing 
boards or reviewing individuals or, or people who review wine, if everybody agrees that the wine is really good, the wine is really good. You know, you, the wine has got to be good if if all of these people who their whole life or their whole job is to taste wine all taste this wine and say this wine is really delicious, right? Sometimes the wine's at 100 points on one review. Sometimes the wine's on 90. That same wine is 90 points on somebody else's review. But if all of these people have tasted the wine and they're all singing the praises, I mean, it's not a 100-point wine, but it's a really good wine. If they're all singing their praises, it's a good wine. you got to get your hands on it. Relatively affordable. I don't know if the 2016 is still available, but I know they moved into 2017. And I can tell you by experience with Domaine Druin wines and by experience with other Rose Rock vintages that I've had, I can guarantee you that the wines will continue to be precision works by a masterful winemaker. So check out uh, Domaine Druin, check out Joseph Druin, check out Rose Rock. The whole family is incredibly talented uh, and all of their wines are smoking. Okay, last wine. And the last lesson I have for you is a wine from a winery or a company that I didn't think that I would enjoy. I tried it. I was impressed. It's not my favorite wine, but I like it more than other wines I like. And here's where I'm going to catch a lot of flack. And again, you want to give me some jabs, give them to me. You want to give me some feedback, give them to me. Don't tell me my opinion's wrong. I mean, I guess you could tell me my opinion's wrong. You tell me whatever you want. But... My personal preference is not that of super big, super powered California red wines. This is not. This is not my favorite thing. I like things that are a little more subtle. I like things that are a little more elegant. I like things that are a little leaner. It's just kind of my preference, okay? So when I tried a 2018 red blend from Prisoner Wine Company, I was not expecting much. And and I mean that with a lot of respect, okay? Dave Feeney is the winemaker that started Prisoner Wine Company, and he started Orrin Swift, and, and now he has a lot of his own labels. But Orrin Swift and Prisoner are no longer owned by the same winemaker, and the wines are not made by the same winemaker. Prisoner is owned by Constellation Brands, who's one of the largest winery owners, groups, or whatever, uh, in the world, uh, especially in the country. And then uh, Orrin Swift is owned by Gallo, who's right up there with them. Another one that's a huge, large uh, importer, distributor, um, supplier. I mean, they've got their hands in everything, right? So I'm not saying anything bad about those producers or about those companies because those companies give us a lot of really great gems, right? Like, I probably don't know enough about Constellation to sing their praises. I didn't work with their portfolio in the past, but I know that they have some great wine. And in the past, I worked with Gallo's portfolio, and Gallo has some really amazing Italian wines. They have some really awesome cabs that they make, uh, some really great Sauvignon Blancs. You know, um, and this 2018 Unshackled Red Blend is what they're calling it, Unshackled, is surprisingly good. Uh, I'll give it that. I'm still a, a little torn between um, my old uh, morals and obviously, again, me making broad statements like, I don't want to drink anything from prisoner ever again. Uh, it, ignorant statement, uh, not broad, rather. Um, but 2018 uh, Unshackled Red Blend Cab, uh, Red Blend 
was um, was actually really delicious. Um, the wine is big, it's dry, it's got cherry to it, it has a little white pepper to it. It's actually, to me, more palatable than what my memory of Prisoner is. Now, the last time I had Prisoner, I'll throw this out there, was probably three or four years ago. It was a big, jammy, fruit bomb wine. Again, stylistically not what I'm going for, and I haven't had Prisoner since. So there might they might be different. It might be a totally different wine than it was, but I wasn't expecting much trying this 2018 Unshackled, and I was I was really impressed. It's a similar blend to Prisoner, a uh, similar process. Uh, it's Zin heavy, Syrah, Petite Syrah, Grenache. Uh, there's one other grape in there I can't remember. Um, it's aged in uh, for 10 months in oak barrels, 30% new French oak. So it does get a lot of um, a lot of uh, characteristics from the oak barrel. Um, you know, it gets a little vanilla to it, uh, and and I like that. Like I was really impressed with this wine. Uh, and here's the best part, everybody: the nickname for it is Half Price Prisoner um, because it's a very similar style wine, uh, but it's half the price of Prisoner. So. I really love the wine, and if I see it in the store, I might buy a whole bottle because I might be willing to try it over a few days and see how it evolves and see if it tastes totally different the day after I open it and see how it tastes two days after I open it. Because the last time I remember trying Prisoner, after the first day, it kind of fell flat. You know, sometimes with really big wines, you open them, the next day they're singing. They're singing. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. But Prisoner, for me, then... Again, this is years ago, wasn't there for me. And Unshackled Red Blend uh, was really good. Okay, so here I go. Dogfish Head 90-Minute IPA. Get it. Asahi 24-ounce Super Dry or any Asahi beer. Do it. Drink it. Again, it's a lighter style beer, but it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. So do it. Two banging Pinot Noirs that... One, one of my favorite Pinot Noirs from one of my favorite wineries, Emeritus Halberg Ranch 2016. 2017 is also available. If you buy both, you'll get to try them side by side or you can lay some down or whatever you want. 2016 Rose Rock Pinot Noir from Yola Amity Hills from Domain Drewing. Drink it. Drink that shit. It's awesome. 2018 Unshackled Red Blend from Prisoner Wine Company. I never thought I'd say this. Drink it. All right, guys, I've uh, rambled long enough. I'm sure you're tired of listening to me. Uh, if you're not, well, I, I'm sure you are. Anyways, okay, guys, signing off. See you soon. Much love. Bye.